0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Those of you who know me and who follow my podcast, you know that I like to dive into the nuts and bolts of things and lean into leaders and people that are in the know. Um, really excited to spend some time. I've never actually interviewed anybody from BCG or Boston Consulting Group, as everybody knows them as, uh, but Kelsey Clark, Managing Director and Partner out of Dallas in the public sector. Um, and I wanted to dive in. Kelsey, because I want to learn more about, we talk about sort of, you know, caregivers and education and how we're supporting industry out there, but understanding that there are a lot of variables that are going on that impact people's ability to contribute to our economic model. Um, And look, I've shared this before, but I get a lot of pitches in in my day, uh, which is a great thing. Uh, I do appreciate it. But, you know, in correspondence with, with, with BCG and your folks, I just thought that this was really compelling to understand the challenges in childcare. When I know as a dad myself, the balancing act Mm -hmm. is significant. And I also know that resources impact the ability for parents, single parents, caregivers, grandparents, uh, to be able to do the things that they need to do uh, to also contribute. So talk with me a little bit about your background at BCG and why this is an area of, of great interest to you and the firm.
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm in, in our public sector, but most of my work is focused on education and workforce. Um, so that's you know, spanning the spectrum all the way from the youngest, from you know, ages zero and three, all the way to higher ed and that connection to workforce. I'm also the global topic leader for early childhood education. Um, so a lot of my work focuses on that earliest part. And it's it's really two folds that interest one is just the impact that it has on a child's life of having that high quality programming in such the early years. And we've seen, you know, research, you know, external as well as the research that BCG has done of just the impact that can have on other student life. But it's also the the connection to today's workforce, right? Like, and actually how that care can really unlock the potential of those parents. It's um, contributing to them, it's contributing to their family, to society. And how there is this huge need for in the care industry to be able to let people actually enter the workforce and be more productive once they are in the workforce.
0: Talk a little bit from the industry side, Kelsey. So, I mean, not to date myself, but when I'm thinking back, sort of in the annals of my life and just what I would observe even growing up and my my parents, uh, you know, thinking about how to support childcare was sort of like, a, okay, that's... We'll worry about that later. It didn't feel, I mean, everyone was sort of in a nine to five or they went to school from eight to three. Like we went into these buckets and we never veered off either to the right or to the left. And yet now learning is lifelong. It's 24 seven people in essence are working or they have careers, but they don't, it's hard to turn on and off. And so mm-hmm. child care is a part of that. But I'm curious as to the industry's perspective from the, you know, from those that are cutting the checks or trying to understand impact on the workforce and their talent, how do they think about it in today in 2023 and trying to not only acquire talent, but keep talent and keep talent that's happy and productive because they have a collaborative companies that they're working for?
1: I think that's such a great point. I think the system really was built off of that nine to five model Um, and for some folks it actually that works. That's what's so interesting about the study that we just did is it really is looking by industry and to really understand there's differences right like people have different needs different hours different you know preferences of what they're comfortable with. Locations all sorts of things and so understanding by industry how that might change, for example. Um, you know, a, a healthcare worker, actually, they a lot of times they're working 12 hour shifts. So they need, they need that extended care. They actually need to figure out care all the way to 8 p.m. Um that they're now having to kind of hodgepodge together. Whereas, you know, someone in IT, which is working more that traditional nine to five, it, you know, like those hours actually work, those traditional hours actually work for them. And so part of our work was like, how does this actually differ? Because a large for, Portion of employees are actually in things like retail, manufacturing, healthcare, educational services, and none of those actually conform to those traditional nine-to-five. And they're and those types of jobs, you're much more likely to need to be in person. What we would call like a deskless worker. So you actually need to be on site, need to be at the location. It's not like you can be, you know, remote or kind of you know you know wherever I, need to work, I can work. They actually require you to be present. And so that's even a different challenge that those industries then have to think about and face is like, how do I actually then fill those needs for those parents?
0: How much of this, Kelsey, is also redefining sort of the assumptions that are out there. I love when you you mentioned about healthcare workers and like extended care, right? So, you know, I think a danger that just our species, we, we struggle with this. It's sort of like taking what we've known and trying to plug it into the present or the future and thinking that the apples are apples. And they're not because the fact that even if like, In essence, do we have to think about a different set of vernacular to communicate what we're talking about here, how to provide support, how to understand the needs on both sides of the table um, to where we can speak in an inclusive way? Because if you need what we would call classically extended care, are you now burdensome to me as an employer? I don't know, because to your point about even remote work, the, everything has shifted. And just because we're doing remote work doesn't mean we don't need childcare. It doesn't, right? I mean, my gosh, any parent that's, that's listening an to this. That's
1: interesting finding that we have. We thought, oh, there's a number of people now that are doing more remote work from home. Maybe they don't need care. They were like, no, we actually still need, need care. More. Desire care. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh so so how does that work i mean how do we uh sort of up the ante or up our sort of knowledge base so that we can communicate in cuz i think it's subtle i don't think these things are uh driven from malice it's not about sort of communicating in a way where we are um taking away from let's say a female employee that has decided to start a family you I think we can be aware, but we also have to be educated in sort of the needs and how the needs have changed over time. And I would think industry needs assistance from a BCG to either extract some of that information and the word to, you know, then decipher what the results are. Help me understand that piece of it, because it feels like we can put a bandaid over this, but that may not, in fact, do it, right? It may not answer the calling that we currently are faced with.
1: I I think that's completely in line with our thinking. I think like that's even why we think that like actually think about childcare, it needs to be reinvented or reimagined. So not just taking the current system and being like, okay, how do I make tweaks to make it, you know, extend here or do this? I think we have to fundamentally think about it differently. I think it really starts with industries and with companies actually talking to their employees and then really understanding like what do you actually need? given, you know, the job that we're doing, where we're doing them, um, what are the needs of our employees, and not just guessing or basing, you know, based on historical things. I I think that's going to be a huge step towards thinking about this in a different way and being inclusive.
0: And are we, how do we feel about uh, companies talking to their employees? I mean, I, I feel like that's something we take for granted, but I would also say that The water cooler talk from the employee side is probably like, well, I, you know, I had a conversation with someone above me in rank and that was awkward. It didn't seem like they understood sort of my need set. And vice versa, a lot of leaders might say that they don't have a lot of support in trying to understand the employees or the talent pool of today in a way that is thoughtful, inclusive, sort of what can we say? What can't we say? So how do we sort of zero in on the discussion between an employer and employee to extract or understand their needs in a way that is thoughtful, but probably more transparent than ever, because we still have work that needs to be done people want to work hopefully right and provide a great service and talent that then yields a, an income for them to support their family
1: yeah i think i think companies are actually getting better at this but there's still definitely a lot of room to grow and i think exactly to your point there's People can feel like there's risk. There's risk that I'm asking for too much, or like that. And so, like, how do I actually remove some of that risk? And That's where, I, you know, BCG has actually done some engagements and has, and have found have been helpful to our clients of, or a third party, and like people know that like I'm not going to say that Joe from IT actually said this, but like can actually gather that input in a very safe way and then translate it up. But I, I do think companies needs to understand of like, how do I actually get at their level in a safe way? And people actually have to see change too. I think that's the other thing too, is they've got to say something and see that change to know of like, oh, they really are listening. They really do care. I can actually then be even more transparent. And so it's a two-way street of like, how do I make sure that they know that this is a safe space? And how do I make sure that, you know, as leaders, I'm taking action on some of the things that we're hearing that people can see it and know and build that trust between between those
0: two. And historically, that's because so many have seen it where there's a, we've all seen, we have a new policy. We have a new change. And the people that have been there tell the newbies, look, this is gonna change in 90 days. Don't get wedded to it. Don't be too upset or too excited. So we've all had a history of that uh, in our country. And so really what, what I'm hearing from you, Kelsey, it's about, in essence, it's kind of like sustainability, even for our environment. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I come down as a leader and sort of impart this new policy or way to support and I don't sustain that over time, the buy-in's not there. And we've already been able to see through COVID, the workforce will leave, you know, even if they don't have a landing spot. So it feels like the stakes are incredibly high. Do you hear that kind Mm -hmm. of desperation from the client side of it, that they've really got to figure this out, that it's not one of these old school, check the box kind of thing that you've got to have and hanging up in your like, you know, workplace kitchen that says, (laughs) here's what we're doing to support you.
1: I Very much. I mean, like there's still, you know, the talent war and I think people are understanding of how do we actually get the best talent. We have to be thinking about a much broader set of topics, childcare being one of them. I also think that employers are realizing too about the productivity impact it has even once you have them. For example, if I'm actually thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, my nanny actually called in and they can't pick my child up from school. So like, I have to go do this or, you know, like the, you know, you're patching things together to actually cover the full day of care. And when one of those breaks down, it takes your mind share away from the work and onto that. And so I think employers are also seeing of like, how do we create the sustainability for our employees so that when they're here, they can be focused and they can be productive.
0: Yeah. And that's the key, that focus quotient, right? I mean, it's, we see that there's some, the stimulus out there is just exploding and it's really, and then the remote side of it, let's talk about innovative solutions and things that you and BCG are finding. Are we finding that there are other elements, nonprofits, you know, philanthropic efforts to innovate around this, or at least to provide some level of social supports uh, or research or data that gives us some insight? Yeah,
1: there's a lot going on. Um, I think there's from a lot of different you know, actors along the way, I think there's a lot of state and local governments that are actually really being creative. Um, you know, for example, Michigan is doing some things around this of like, okay, what about it's, you know, I think a third from the state, a third from the employers, and a third from the, the employees. So trying to get creative and innovative that way. Um, a number of areas where there's philanthropic dollars coming in, and actually doing things. And I think those are good to show, here's a model that works. Now, how do we think about how we get public funding or long-term funding within those? I also, I mean, like a lot of this is around building the supply side. So how do we get creative? How do we actually, you know, there's a ton of what we call childcare deserts across the country. Um, How do we actually get more centers and more places where you're providing care um, in the places that are needed? And Can
0: you so you paint that picture, Kelsey? I'm so glad you brought up the childcare desert because, gosh, I mean, when I hear that, it's just like tumbleweeds. And, and like, I think to myself, I'm taking, you know, obviously we're thinking about a desert, but what is that actually, what is the reality of, of that? Are we talking about those that are um, socioeconomically challenged that they don't have the resources? Are we talking about, I mean, you go into some communities, there's nothing there. Yeah, this like, How do they wild, operate? But, um,
1: it's a lot of low income urban areas or rural areas, but the really the definition is there's just not enough seats for the number of kids there. And so the the the, the def, most common definition of like there are three kids for every one seat. So just by definition, there's just not enough licensed child care centers in that area to serve the number of kids that are there.
0: So what's the the the, the impact of uh, your local chamber of commerce? I mean, they're trying to solicit and bring business in. I mean, I live in Nashville, which cannot build enough new buildings. Um, and I, I mean, is this a part of the conversation? How are either you guys getting pulled in or what are you hearing from industry as they're selecting where they want to house their headquarters? I would imagine this has to play a major role in those discussions.
1: It plays in that. The interesting finding is a lot of people want to have care that's close to their house. Yeah. So I think it's something we're near work. Like it's not like they don't see that as a benefit, but the ideal is close to the house. And a lot of that is right. Like my partner can actually, you know, one of the two of us can go pick it up or I can have a family or friend member pick up. Um, it's just a little bit easier when it's close to home. So it's not just about thinking about when we're attracting businesses and that problem. It's also when we're talking to, or cities are talking to developers and city planners. Okay, there's a new neighborhood being built. Are we thinking about a child care center and where that center is going to be and how we actually make sure that's part of the plan so that we don't create a lot of, you know, we're going to bring a lot of families in, but not thinking about care at the same time?
0: And where do these numbers stand? I know I was looking at, you know, what, seven in 10 caregivers, regardless of industry, job type, geography, or income, are unhappy with their current child care situation. And more than half, 51% of Americans live, your earlier point, this child care desert. Is this, are we trending down? Or are we trending, out? like where are we sort of state of the union based on previous uh, research?
1: If anything, I think we're slightly trending down. Um, mm. COVID actually had a very negative impact on this industry. They just weren't, not all centers were able to make it. And so like you saw a lot of centers close um, during the pandemic and we haven't rebounded back up. There are centers opening, but you'd probably see more, slightly more closing right now than opening.
0: See, that's very scary because to your point, I mean, it, it, it's easy to say, oh, this is just, you know, this is a child care issue just for the for the employee that has, has a child or children. But boy, when you look at it from a systems perspective, I mean, all of a sudden now, I may be getting less applications to my company because people cannot drive downtown to your corporate headquarters. And or if you have child care downtown... There's something even psycho. There feels like a psychological barrier that if I have to have my child there within that environment, that I'm never able to turn work off. Are we talking about sort of the mental health, the psychological elements to this that do play a role in what we talked about very briefly earlier, which is focus, right? I mean, if I'm stressed about my my child care issue, even if you have supports in place that are, I guess, they support the logistical uh, maze, that doesn't mean that I can focus or that I'm happy with what that looks like, and I might leave for a job that pays less but the benefits that i see as a benefit potentially are better.
1: Mhm. I mean you've got that and you've got also just the the actual cost of it as well. I mean many of them we see you know it's it's up to $10,000 per child. I mean so we've got so many families that are paying you know 20% of their income and what's really interesting in this this issue is we actually find is that um, what we call the middle income squeeze, right? So low income families are able to actually get support. High income families are, are usually able to cover it. Middle income families, this is massively expensive. They have no support. And we have centers that are going out because it's, they're actually underfunded. They can't actually pay their educators enough to keep them and retain them uh, and train them to the ability that they need to. And so there's there really is like, this is just a model that's broken.
0: And by the way, I'm so glad you brought that up, Kelsey, because that is that dirty little secret when it comes to childcare. Let's just say, at early education, is that we already know sort of the the uh, the the depths or the lack of of substance when it comes to pay for educators. But when you look at early childhood and childcare, it is scary because the costs are significant. Yet the providers, you know, a parent. I remember going through this when my kids were that age. It was like, my gosh, how many. People are getting cycled through this from a talent perspective. Well, there's an impact on that. You know, I had one child that had the same every year was sort of like the same childcare provider educator through early childhood. My daughter every year was like three to four. I mean, it was just they kept cycling through. And you think, what is that imprinting on her and her classmates when it comes to the relationship that they we would hope would have with a caregiver in a position to educate? Mm
1: -hmm. Many of these. Educators aren't earning a living wage themselves, but more than a quarter of them on on government subsidies, um, a quarter They're yep, a quarter. Uh, they're making less than like a parking lot attendant. so they're making you know anywhere between ten and twelve dollars an hour. Um, and you're right. I you know, on the thinking about the student side, like the one of the best things for a child is just consistency, consistency environment, the people. It's got a safety aspect. And at that age, safety is so correlated with education. And so when you have a lot of people turning over, it's just like new and you know, changing my routine. And so for a child, those that are able to actually keep those same teachers, keep the same experience in the same environment can really flourish. Um Versus
0: those others. Are there statistics on sort of the real cost to industry, to companies that have not figured this out or that have maybe botched the childcare or the support benefit for their employees, sort of that cost of acquiring them as talent and then losing them before they've really sort of been able to see the net benefit of having them on their team over a three to five year period?
1: Yeah, I don't know if we've we've looked at it that way. I think we've analyzed like the size of, of care, but not on like the productivity and what we're missing out because we're not able to actually tap into this talent
0: pool. I, I, I suspect that we'd be very nervous to see what that, yeah. what that would be, right? Because that, I mean, my goodness, that could change everything. That could change yeah. the blueprint of where a company is going, if it's going public or not. Um, there are a lot of implications are you uh, let's sort of put a, a wrapper on this Kelsey so are you finding that there are more companies that are looking to understand this data or these conversations that are you know that's great Kelsey <laughs> we know BC BCG is fantastic and has qu- and quite a reputation but we really kind of don't want to know what we don't know we don't we just don't want to reveal that information or are we really wanting to learn
1: I think more and more really are seeing and understanding the impact this is having and wanting to learn more of like, which is part of the reason why we actually wanted to look at it by industry, because we knew like, I don't think this is going to be the same answer for every company that comes to us. It's like How do we actually support our employees uh, in a way that's meaningful to them? And so wanting to actually understand, even just at a high level, again, I think that It would still even be, you know, if we're working with a specific client, like we need to actually talk to the employees and understand what the employees need and why, but have that that general sense. And also I think is impactful for states to understand that it's different. So for example, if you've got one state that, you know, is more rural and has more manufacturing, you might want to actually incentivize on the corporate side, different things. And if I actually have a state that's more on the tech side and like less rural and so like. Your incentives across those might want to look different to promote employers to actually help come to the table and be part of the solution. Um, And so I think it's really important for all actors to understand it's not just like a one size fits all. We actually need to make sure that we're we're thinking about this for different people and their, their needs.
0: I love that. And it it invokes in me that, you know, we talk about personalized learning throughout, you know, K-12 and higher ed. It's really about personalized support, because to your point, whether it regardless, you know, depending upon industry, location or locale, it can look very different. And we're going to need different solutions to an incredibly complex problem. Where, Kelsey, can people learn more about BCG's efforts in this space and also uh, read more upon the study?
1: Yeah, but so BCG's got a, a couple reports the, um, on this. I would just encourage folks to visit the bcg.com and they can find more information.
0: Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate it. I think selfishly as a dad, I, <laughs> I appreciate the information uh, so that one, we're not ignorant and two, we can be informed and hopefully support the next generation of solutions that will support up and coming uh, families to be. Uh, we want to thank Kelsey Clark. She's managing director and partner at BCG. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.